Hey there, and welcome to your weekly episode of I Didn't Sign Up For This with Allison Casanova and myself, Jade Shaw. We are both licensed marriage and family therapists here in the Bay Area of California. Whether you're a practitioner yourself or just interested in topics around mental health and therapy, join us here for some real and honest conversations. Please note that this podcast is not a replacement for therapy or medical advice. Any questions about your specific situation should be directed to your own therapist or primary care physician. Thank you for listening. So welcome to, I didn't sign up for this. Today we have a guest from the juvenile justice system and we thought it would be fun to bring her on since we were talking a little bit about, um, we did a couple episodes about trauma and so this was a, a good um, person to maybe talk a little bit more on that. So um, we have Myra. Myra, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your experience as a therapist? Hi, my name is Myra Vargas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've been working in the field for 10 years plus and with the juvenile justice and adult justice system for about two, three years. And we can definitely talk a little bit more about my clinical perspective about the things I do in that field. We're excited to have you. Thanks for joining us. So can you tell us more about what population you work with currently? Obviously, it's juvenile justice, but a little more about what that looks like, or if there's any sort of common themes you see with the clients that you're seeing. Okay, so I primarily work with kids. By kids, I mean kids that are ages as young as 11 and as old as 18, 19. And I've worked with them in the setting at juvenile hall when they first come in for whatever reason that they're being arrested for. Um, and we provide them with therapeutic services while they're there. Sometimes they are in crisis, so we have to be able to provide support 24-7 during that time. It looks like going from one-on-one sessions to having additional support from the staff that work with the juveniles in the units. Um, Currently, we have one girl unit and about four boys unit in there and it's just providing them services until either the court system does what they need to do to get them out or if they need to stay there longer. So are there any sort of common themes that you see or I know Allison had mentioned in the intro about how this kind of ties to trauma. Do you feel like you see trauma as having any sort of correlation to the population that you're working with or what's your perspective on that? Oh, yes. (laughs) <laughs> definitely. I would definitely see a uh, high percentage. I am not going to say maybe okay. more than 50%, but I'll, it's it's higher than that. So I've you, seen... you guys can't see Myra, but we're laughing because her head was like the biggest head shake I think <laughs> I've ever seen when we asked her that question. Yes. So um, I would say more than 50%, but I would definitely it's really high in terms of trauma and a lot of these kids come in with not only with one but multiple traumas either from going from foster in the from the foster care system to um, substance use addiction historical trauma generational trauma so it's a high percentage 
So before um, we go further into that, can you tell tell us a little bit more about what historical and generational trauma entails? Because I think a lot of people listening aren't familiar with those terms. So the difference between historical trauma and generational trauma. Generational trauma is more of things that have been going from generation to generation, meaning Um, similar or almost exactly the same trauma that let's say a parent is going through and it same exact same thing happened to their child and it just kind of a cycle of repeating itself for historical trauma I can give an example more clear in terms of we have a huge Native American population and their historical trauma is more along the lines of all the constant kind of like the concentration camps they had when they were put in a certain area and being stripped away from their belief system their values and trying to mainstream them into what we would call maybe westernized Um, so trauma in a culture versus trauma in a family system versus trauma as an individual yes um in terms of themes i will definitely say with the current juvenile justice kids that I, I do work with right now, it's a lot of substance use. Um, that's the primary one, but it's not, and that not only entails their individual traumas, how, to, how they're coping with their traumas, but it's also learning certain behaviors because parents are addicts themselves. And when they see that growing up, it's sort of like a coping skill that they've learned Mm -hmm. along the way so substance use is a huge common theme there Um, sexual abuse is a common theme there and I wouldn't say a high percentage but uh, a certain percentage of the girls there are what we call c-sec girls which is commercially sexually abused child and that is a very tough population to work with be just because they have experienced so much trauma from different areas in their lives. And I would say those are the primary ones, kids that are in the foster care mm-hmm. system due to being removed from their own biological families because of mm-hmm. neglect and things like that are major trauma uh, Mm -hmm. themes that I do see. I think that's such a good bridge to what Allison and I talked about in our trauma episode in terms of how, A, how trauma experienced early in life can really put you at higher risk for things like substance use and how experiencing trauma really changes brain development and and all these other factors that... um, sort of inhibit somebody's ability to self-regulate and kind of puts them in these positions where they're maybe committing these crimes. And so I think it really helps give our listeners a perspective of what these individuals have encountered that contribute to them being where they are. Um, I think it's really unfortunate that a lot of times People think of youth in the juvenile justice system as like the bad kids or the dangerous kids, right? When, like you're saying, probably likely more than 50% are there because they've experienced some trauma and have either learned to use substance as a coping skill or um, for, you know, it's a good word a sort of justifiable reason they don't really know how to 
engage appropriately or manage their reactions to certain situations. I think something that I've learned along the way is everybody Mm -hmm. has a story and everybody has a good reason why they do the things they do. Even if we might not understand what that story is or understand or agree with what their reason is, there's always a backstory. So if you see that somebody is maybe in jail for something instead of making that judgment and thinking that they're bad because they're in jail, maybe trying to understand what it took to get them there. Cause not everybody just because they're in jail is bad. Yeah. So Myra, I have a sort of off the cuff question in my experience working with youth in the juvenile justice system. I found that I really took a liking to them after knowing their story. And I think most therapists would have that experience, right? Once you get to know somebody, yeah. mm-hmm. you can understand them a little bit better. But I also found that there was a huge advocacy piece in almost protecting them, right? Like you don't want people to judge them because those people don't always know their stories. Do you find that to be the case for you? Yes. So definitely because um, the kids themselves already have a very, very negative perspective of themselves Mm -hmm. and what they've done. And they don't themselves believe that they have anything good in them. Mm -hmm. Right. So we kind of have to sometimes provide them for them saying, Hey, I, we do believe in you. We do know that yes, the things that you've done may have caused you to be here, but that doesn't mean or doesn't define who you are as a person. And so we tend to be a little bit protective of them and until they can build themselves and say, hey, you know, I do have this. I can take a different path and grow with whatever I want to do in terms of goals because these kids do have goals. They mm-hmm. do have goals. It's just that they've taken a wrong path in terms of how to get there. And Mm -hmm. some of them are just surviving and they just, yes. And they do have different programs. I will say working in the system, there are different programs that that are available for them. It's just that sometimes they don't know how to ask. They -hmm. don't know what's there or they feel like I'm already here. People already have this misconception of my actions and why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point about that lack of confidence that they have in themselves. And a part of that, I'm sure, is why would I ask for help if I don't deserve it, right? Or mm-hmm. what yeah. if I Definitely. fail again, and right? It's, it's interesting, um, that question that you ask, even though I never worked in the juvenile justice system, I worked with a lot of kids who were in the system. And I feel like looking back and thinking about my experiences with them, I felt very protective too, right? I felt like I had to be their cheerleader. Like I'm going to, I'm going to help you see that you are worth something and that you can get to your goals. You just need to maybe go about it a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a tough position to be in, right? Because I think that the majority of people probably don't understand it from the same perspective that you have. Definitely. And then because within the juvenile justice, we have the mm-hmm. court side, right? The the probation officers, the judges, 
the staff that works with them daily and then they have the behavioral health piece slash or what you formerly known as mental health piece and sometimes it's hard to drive because it's a very black and white thinking for them and I I understand that because they're trying to look for the safety of their families, the community, and making sure that they learn whatever lesson that needs to be learned. But there's also the not understanding that, or they're trying, but sometimes it's hard for them to differentiate, okay, this kid has had multiple run-ins with the laws and we're providing this, and but they're not understanding that just because the services or whatever is being provided for them doesn't mean that their environment has changed. And if their environment hasn't changed, the kid is going to have a tough time. It's hard to work on the stuff that you need to work on and move forward if you're still in the space that got you to where you are. Yeah, right. There's a reason for it. So being back in that same environment, like you guys are saying, doesn't help change. That's why it's easier, I think, for people when they're out of it to start working on that stuff because they can create kind of a place that feels comfortable for them to be able to open up and work on it. They don't need those same survival skills that they had before, but when they're in it, they might still need them, even though they may not be working for them very well. They're Mm -hmm. they're all they know. I was just thinking about uh, my experience, too, working with um, police officers and I wonder, too, if you have the same experience, you know, they, they have the, the rules and the laws that they have to abide by, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily always have the same training and understanding of mental health that we do. So sometimes when you're trying to kind of talk to them about um, the, the kid that you're working with and you're trying to kind of help them to be able to work maybe a little bit differently, too, because you know that that that's maybe going to support them a little bit better. Some of them really struggle seeing it because they have this other view Mm -hmm. that they were kind of trained in. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, They want to be able to see it. And I've worked with a few um, probation officers and police officers where they do, they say, I get it, but we Mm -hmm. also have this and this is Mm -hmm. outweighing sometimes even their mental health. And it's like, I get it. And like, if I wasn't in this position, I could take a different route about going with this with this current situation but it's like it like I said it's that there it has to be a very Mm -hmm. they have their laws and regulations and the system the system a little maybe a little broken it is I'm not gonna it is it is but sometimes they also say they're those rules and regulations are there for a reason yeah and And I think sometimes it's difficult to change them because it's what they have Mm -hmm. and it's what's worked for now Mm -hmm. and I know that a lot of them are in place for safety reasons but I think sometimes you know we're all different so not it's not going to work for everybody the same way yeah I'm glad you brought up sort of the other side of the coin because I've had similar experiences I mean in any sort of position right whether you're um, case managing with a teacher or I don't know sometimes even another therapist right there's going to be different perspectives and each person is going to be mm-hmm. seeing things from a different view or have their own beliefs or whatnot. With that being said, though, I do think that there are experiences I've had with um, some people in law enforcement that were really understanding it and did the best that they could to be able to work around it to make it work. Um, and I really appreciated that. But yeah, it's hard with everybody's different roles that they they're like different hats right like you 
are in this role and you have to abide by these certain rules, whether you see maybe the benefit in them or not. Yeah. And just to sort of reiterate that you're absolutely right, that their job is to protect the community and hold that like safety standard. And that's not necessarily your job, right? So no, even thinking about that. Definitely is not. And that's why we have you both. <laughs> but I totally agree, Allison, that I've also had really positive experiences. And I'm, I'm sure you have too, Myra, you know, just in you saying that you've worked with a couple who are interested in trying to understand more or see that other perspective. And I do see that, like when you work together with the legal system, which are the probation officers, the police department and the judges themselves in having meetings and to talk about with the kid mm-hmm. and with the families, um, there's a little bit more of a higher rate in terms of the kids being successful and not mm-hmm. coming back because they're, they feel like that there's that support from everyone, everyone and they want the best for him, her. When yeah. everyone's on board and everybody's super consistent and it's like that same message, I think the resiliency rate kind of increases a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, and that totally makes sense, right? So on that note, um, what is the number one thing that you want people to know about this population that they probably don't know? I think the one thing is that there is this whole misconception that these kids are innately bad, meaning that they've just grown up to be that way. They Mm -hmm. haven't. And just because their behaviors in the classrooms are out of control or defiant or yes, I mean, I, I, I see that and I hear that from teachers, from things like that. I do hear that they get frustrated and because the, the kid is acting out or whatever, but there's always a reason for kids having that wall and acting a certain way. There's always a story like Allison, you've mentioned before there's always a story behind this kid and just sometimes being the person that says hey you want to check in and talk about what's going on or just kind of being that um, mentor for them instead of just judging them because they do see that judgment they do feel that judgment already from everyone i was gonna say i think one of the the things that i remember hearing from one of my kids that really kind of just stuck with me was after a while being told you're bad all the time and being expected to do all of these terrible things you kind of just start to think well I might as well just be the Mm -hmm. bad kid that you're telling me to be there. I mean, that's, you're already telling me that that's what I am. So there's no hope for me to be anything different. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that kind of, that kind of just moves it along further because if you can be able to see the other side and you have, you give them maybe the benefit of the doubt, just that little bit of hope can give them a little bit of hope for themselves to change it around and not continue on that path. I can even go on and just say that right now one of my kids is popping up into my head and he he just recently left and I'm hoping that he will become at least more successful in terms of not coming Mm -hmm. back into juvenile justice. Um, He was able to go home after being in different placements. By that I mean like he, Mm -hmm. because they couldn't handle him. Um, he was placed in different locations and at points he definitely got kicked down because of behaviors and because of 
just the erraticness of sometimes mm-hmm. the things that would come out of his mouth. But just in talking to him and saying, hey, you know, he w- he's very eloquent and he's very smart. I think sometimes too smart for himself. But at the end, I a few times I had said, you know, I think you're very smart and I think you know sometimes when doing some of these actions, it's because you're trying to get something out of the people around you. And he's like, yes. And like, no one has ever told me that I'm smart or that I'm eloquent or things like that. And he's like, I'm trying. I am really trying to prove people wrong. But sometimes when I don't have the people to believe in me or just kind of give me a chance, I guess discouraging. And he, at the end, he said, thank you for saying that I'm smart and for uh, saying that I'm eloquent. And I said, yeah, you know, it's finding those strengths and personality traits that can help them figure out that they're more than just their actions or their stories. We all need to hear that feedback sometimes. I think it's really important to everybody to to see how other people can see them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you think about somebody who goes to work every day, if your boss is telling you that you're useless and you're not going to do your job well, yeah, a part of you is going to be like, okay, well, why even bother trying then, right? So it's sort of a heartbreaking thing to know that people don't always know their stories and just wishing that, um, you know, people could see that if they had that encouragement all the time, that they could see that side of these kids that you are seeing and that, you know, openness to try, that desire to do well and just that need for support. I think you said it best that everybody has a story and that's really the biggie. And I guess one more thing I would definitely say is that for anyone that has, like, for teachers specifically sometimes, because I do hear that a lot, the kids always say, I'm more than what's in my file. Mm -hmm. So instead of just reading a file on the kids and their behaviors, it's more along the lines of, okay, who are you and, like, how can I help you succeed and what can we do to work on some of these things for you to be able to succeed and things like that. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay, so I think that brings us nicely to the next question, which is, what are some effective interventions that you use, you have used with these clients, or any tips that you would give to parents or teachers who are working with kids in this population? I think a lot of times, you know, we've spent a lot of time in this episode talking about how people don't fully understand what's happening for these kids and how that might affect the way that they're working with them. So what have you done that's been helpful or what tips would you give? I can definitely say that in terms of interventions effectively is um, a lot of just listening. And by I mean listening, it's active listening, (laughs) which it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. because kids and um they will pick it up right away kids anyone the kids and even teenagers and even adults pick it up really quickly when you're you're there but you're not yeah and so it's actually part- actively participating with them in sessions and and just saying I'm here with you and you know I'm here to listen to what you have to say maybe learning from each other i think that's one of the things that even in sessions it's just been interesting to kind of listen to who they are and where they come from, but also kind of start putting in different seeds in their in their brains about how to think things differently sometimes too, too. Because sometimes they will say, oh, I've never thought about it that way, even though for us as adults, I was like, wow, 
that's common sense, but they they their perspective is so small because sometimes it's just their neighborhoods mm-hmm. and that's all they've known and that's all they've seen that they they haven't been able to cross the street and say you know this is different or you know why is this different why can't I've never thought about it this way so it's just doing very active listening with them in terms of maybe teachers and parents I know with parents it's a different role but sometimes it's taking away that judgment piece and even also with teachers because kids know the teenagers know when you're judging them and they're like oh why am I going to try to change this person's perspective if they've already tried me and and made me guilty without even getting to know me or knowing who I am or why I'm doing all of these things why am I why am I going out in the neighborhoods and you know stealing or whatever and they don't know that that is because I'm trying to put food in my family's home because parent can't work or whatever so it's kind of like that perspective also Mm -hmm. so getting to know the reasons behind their behaviors instead of labeling their behaviors yes I like that you talked about listening to because there's a difference between saying why do you keep doing this you know what are you doing this for versus let's sit down and Tell me about your story. Tell me what's going on for you. And we talked a little bit about that, I think, in the last episode, what that looks like to actively listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're so right that, I mean, anybody, but mostly teens will really pick up. If you're faking it, they're going to pick up on that. They'll know. I like to call them BS detectors. (laughs) (laughs) Because they they are, they can totally tell if you're being genuine or Mm -hmm. not. Yeah. And, you know, the more you learn about somebody, the easier it is to just naturally be genuine and have that compassion for them. And it does become less of like, okay, I need to refocus on this conversation or refocus on what this person is saying. And you have that sort of like heart connection with what they're experiencing and why they're doing certain things. I agree to all of that. (laughs) (laughs) When doing any kind of active listening and kind of it's allowing them the space to be able to say, you know, I because some some of these kids are very smart and they will say, yes, I, I've I've had these people in my life and they they've tried to, you know, say they listen to me, but they don't. They just want to be able to get their whatever it is that they need to get met and and not necessarily be there for me. Um, so it, like I said, like we've said, the kids are very good at detecting when people are genuine with them mm-hmm. and when they're not. So it's where you, it's also kind of checking with yourself to see if you're in that place to be able to be there for those kids genuinely. Otherwise, why be there? Yeah. I like that. So if you are in a space where you can't be that way, making sure you're doing what you need to do to to get into that space so that you can be there. And if that is even possible to do, maybe if it's not, trying to see if somebody else can kind of support them instead. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Because it does take special population of people to be able to work with some of these kids because they're so tough and you have to be able to navigate through all the different layers that they have in order to get to the core of them. Mm-hmm. 
and that's if even if they allow you to do it because they they're they're very good at detecting who's genuine and who's not well and they've had many years of practicing how to bury all of that stuff and take care of themselves and put on that mask and be like an onion (laughs) yes yes (laughs) i think for any teenager it's hard to talk about your experience or what you're feeling or what you're going through or what's hard right and then you have these teens who have extra reasons to have a hard time trusting people um and that just makes it that much more difficult but that much more rewarding so do you have any tips that you would suggest for parents specifically because i think parents in this situation maybe are in the same spot that their kids are Mm. if they're in the justice system they've probably most likely experienced a lot of the same things so are there things that you could suggest for them to be able to to get through and support their kid so i would one of the things i would definitely say is knowledge is power when it comes to being in the not only the juvenile uh, any kind of justice system right it's having the knowledge of what that means but it's also learning and be open-minded open-minded about what mental health is because sometimes it's very difficult for them to say you know not my kid Mm -hmm. you know i didn't go through that or like we i don't know what that is or you know like you don't have that. So it's kind of have having the open-mindedness minded, of saying, okay, I need this knowledge to at least know what's going on to be, to ask and maybe to start also learning to see that kids are very different and not one is the same as the other. So one that is, because sometimes we have, you know, families that are, that have multiple children in the home and child A or, or teenage A, teenager A is like straight A's and going to college. And then you have child B who's doing all these other things and saying, well, why can't you be like this kid? So it's kind of just having knowledge and open, being open-minded. So one thing that I did want to add to that is I think sometimes people have a really hard time with labels, especially parents and their children. You know, my kid has X, Y, and Z, and I think it has a lot of negative connotation to it. And so sometimes it can be really hard to accept the label or get the help that you need because of the label. And I think a lot of times insurance companies really like to have those labels too, because that that is how you're going to get your reimbursement. But really, I think for a lot of therapists and Myra, you can speak a little bit and Jade, you can speak a little bit to this too. We only have the label so that we can figure out how to help. So if we have a certain set of symptoms and characteristics and we have that label, we can create a plan on how to move forward and how to help you the best. And so that's what the label is for us. We often think that it's ever changing and it doesn't necessarily mean that just because, you know, you have this label means it has to stick with you forever. So I don't know if maybe that's, that's something that can help some of the people who aren't wanting to get the support or aren't wanting to access it, but 
definitely. And there is that whole thing. I call it a thing because it's like when people say there's a label, it automatically, for some, it's this is who I am. And this is what, how people are going to see me. But it's really not. It's more about some things that are going on in your life, but it doesn't define who you are. It doesn't define all the strengths and all the good things. And it doesn't erase those things. That's one of the things, the misconceptions is that sometimes people have. It's just because there is a label there. It just erases everything of who you are. And it's not. It's just a part that might be causing some challenges Mm -hmm. in the daily life. It's more along the lines of this is, there these are some of the things that are going on but let's let's put something there so we can kind of like Allison said is have a um a plan to kind of overcome some of these challenges so there's going there can be some feeling good and some success whatever terminology the person wants to use it's a part of you it doesn't define you yes So unfortunately, Jade is having technical difficulties and she had to leave the rest of this conversation. Luckily, we don't have too much more that we planned on covering, so she won't miss much, but it'll just be me and Myra for the remainder of the time. So on that note, uh, was there anything that you'd like to add or share that we didn't cover? No, I think we covered quite a lot. And I think with each of these sections, we could have gone and talked about a whole different, many different things. Um, But I think in general, we've covered maybe the the overall misconceptions and challenges and things that, that are going on in the justice system. So something that me and Jade like to end our episode with is daily tips that can bring positivity to your everyday life. And so I am going to give our listeners one. And if you decide off the top of your head that you have one you would like to share, you can. But uh, you definitely don't have to. So my tip for the day is... To be silly. I know last week we were talking a little bit about that and it kind of stuck with me. And I think sometimes we do need to be a little silly and do something to just out of maybe what you would normally do just to kind of laugh and giggle a little bit. I think it's important to make sure that that we are laughing because sometimes that that is better than medicine. I think a little bit to go along with that one is sometimes as adults or even as you know teenagers we forget about the the whole like being sometimes being a kid at heart Mm because sometimes that helps lighten the things so i my suggestion is playing something that you haven't played in a long time like a game that you haven't played in a long time because that kind of brings you back a little bit of light into yourself and not so much of the heavy stuff or the daily things that people deal with that we deal with yeah it's so important it kind of centers you and gets you back to who you are and I think there needs to be a good balance between having fun and working so that was a good one I appreciate that Mm -hmm. one 
So on that note, we are going to end today's episode. And I don't know, maybe we'll have Myra back on at some point in the future. I know she said that there was lots of things that we could have expanded on. And you know us, we definitely like to go off topic so and talk a little bit more. So we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.